You are Locked On College Football, your daily podcast on all things college football. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On College Football, the weekly podcast that highlights the biggest stories in the college football world from yours truly, Locked On Podcast Network host. Each day, you'll have a new host sharing latest news and giving their hottest takes. On Mondays, you got me, Candace Cooper, host of Locked On Tar Heels, leading this talented team. Do yourself a favor, make sure you download and subscribe to Locked On College Football from anywhere. So here's what I have on tap for you today. We've got Locked On Missouri host John Miller talking to me about Missouri's big win on Saturday. More importantly, I am going to talk to him about where he sees Missouri fitting into this SEC football conversation. I'm going to talk to Locked On Gators host Zach Goodall about Florida. Tough loss over the weekend. However, they are still the top dogs in the SEC East. Why should we not worry about those Gators? We'll talk to Zach about that today. Finally, I've got Locked On Wolfpack host Ken Gibbs talking to me about the Wolfpack. How excited he is to see three big wins under the NC State's belt. Whether or not they can keep that momentum going. And can anybody stop? Clemson Tigers in that Atlantic division. Can it be NC State? We'll have that conversation today. I hope you all had a great weekend. I hope you enjoyed time with your fam, watched some great football. You know, SEC is rolling, Big 12, ACC, all those, you know, strong, solid Power 5 conferences are making their moves. We're a couple weeks closer to seeing the Big 10, the Pac-12, and other conferences trying to make a comeback into this fall season. And so we'll get those hosts on here shortly because, you know, everyone just wants to have a chance. They, nobody wants FOMO. I'm still feeling for that college football committee. I don't understand how they're going to come up with a top 25, but we'll get it through it <laughs> slowly but surely, and we'll figure it out some way, somehow. So John Miller is on deck. Let's not waste any time and get rolling with Locked on Missouri conversation now. We have a special guest, John Miller from Locked on Missouri, to join to talk about those Tigers and a big win over the weekend. John, how are you? Doing fantastic. Just enjoying that victory. And I'll just tell the audience, I am yeah. very much a partisan fan. So don't, don't <laughs> expect any kind of objectivity in this interview, Candace. <laughs> great, great. Now, we were talking about Tigers, you know, from Missouri. What a great game they had. Listen, I was, I didn't think it would come down to the wire, but it definitely did. What were your overall thoughts about yesterday's matchup against LSU? Well, honestly, I think big picture and small picture, I think Missouri has themselves a really good play caller as their head coach, and they've also found themselves a quarterback, too, and Connor Basilak. I thought Eli Drinkwitz called a tremendous football game, and considering that Missouri was down, you may or may not have heard this, down seven players with either a positive COVID test or contact tracing. And these were important players too, including two of our starting receivers, mm -hmm. two of our starting interior defensive linemen. So, I mean, really what an effort by the whole team to come through for sure. But to me, the big picture is the really important parts of your team and that's head coach and quarterbacks. So I'm feeling really optimistic all of a sudden. Right. Now did coach drink solidify his place in the sec with yesterday's win? Oh, I think so for sure. I think he, he looked like I was just telling Candace, I had to throw the chiefs game on pause. <laughs> I thought he looked very much Andy Reed adjacent with his oh, play wow. calling yesterday, just in terms of, of the variety and just the timing of it, running all kinds of motion and screens and just really brilliantly done by Drinkwitz. 
Now, what's been the overall impression of Coach Drinkett from the Tigers fans and responding to his first few games where were a little bit rougher than you know they probably would have wanted? Sure. Well, obviously, he's a first year coach. And I think he you always get the honeymoon period. And I think Missouri <laughs> fans are smart enough to realize that this is a really bizarre season. And generally, you're not going to fare very well against Alabama in week one, and then frankly, heading down to Knoxville against an improving Tennessee volunteer team. I think Tennessee is quite a bit better than I expected. <laughs> and so I, I think and also, frankly, Missouri didn't start the right quarterback the first two weeks. Now, if you want to, if you want to criticize Coach Drinkwitz for that, go right ahead. But we got the right guy now, at least, and not not a moment too soon. <laughs> and did yesterday's win, do you think, said more about Missouri or more about LSU's struggles? Well, that's a good question. I, I think that's a really good question. I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, you got to give Missouri a lot of credit, but you know, LSU, obviously defensively, it's been a sieve suddenly under, under uh, Bo Pelini here the first three weeks. I mean, Mississippi State threw all over them in week mm -hmm. one. We saw Kentucky was able to hold them down defensively yesterday. So, yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, honestly, I was hearing that, oh, the Missouri, I, I, I talked to Matt, Moscona on our network at Locked On LSU. He was saying, "Hey, worry more about the run defense." But mm -hmm. boy, Basilak again threw for 400 yards, so their pass defense had plenty of problems too. And why do you think fans are already calling for Coach O's head, considering he just you know had the dream season last year? Is that more telling of kind of how SEC fans are? Are they very much privileged in that regard? If they only want the best at all times? Are are there really people who are calling for his head? Are you <laughs> yes, serious? After I'm not, I'm not even joking. There are fans that are like, when oh, are we going to get him out of here? Yeah. Well, well, to all of you people out there in LSU, <laughs> I tell you to be a little bit patient because yes I know the one and two start got to be a little bit disappointing but you know what your quarterback threw for 430 yards too Miles Brennan played a heck of a football game himself mm -hmm. I realize the defense is the problem right now because offensively they look like they were doing just fine so obviously one of the greatest seasons of all time last year yeah pump the brakes <laughs> so Missouri quarterback Connor Basilek in his first career start completed 29 of 34 passes for 406 yards four touchdowns and zero interceptions talk about why Connor is your new guy and why you're so confident in him you know, the guy just has the look, if you will. He's just got a certain level of calmness about him at all times, and he just seems to make really good decisions. Now, he's got good arm talent. He's got a good arm and all that. But again, a lot of quarterback play really does come down to decision-making, and I thought yesterday his decision-making was really great. And one thing we saw yesterday that we didn't see the first couple weeks from Connor is he was throwing it over the middle of the field more. That was something I was wondering why he was throwing – nearly 90% of his passes outside the numbers, but obviously we, we exploited the middle of the field more yesterday. You saw a nice angle route to Tyler Beatty for a touchdown, for instance. So I don't know. I think we're just opening up this offense. It should be, should be a much more fun Missouri season as we head down the stretch here, a, definitely a tough schedule, but Hey, I'm going to keep watching. That's for sure. What will Missouri need to do to be in top of the sec conversation for the rest of the season with this tough stretch ahead? Well, you know, gosh, in terms of actually competing with, with Georgia, I mean, obviously they're the cream of the crop at this point and surprise Florida loss, to be honest, the way their offense is going, but yeah. you know, frankly, I'd be surprised if Missouri could actually compete 
at the top of the SEC East this season. Their defense has got to get quite a bit better for sure. And obviously, we've got to see more consistent offense. That was great for one week that we had a tremendous offense with Bazelak playing all four quarters. But let's see if they can keep it going. I tend to think that they can because, again, they're they're started a bunch of, frankly, no offense to these guys, but kind of no names at receivers. Mm -hmm. A guy, Boo Smith, who played a really nice game, War number 31, he's a walk-on. That's not exactly a receiver number. Kind of gives mm -hmm. you an idea of how much he was expected to play this season, but really played a nice game. And I think, again, a lot of that is the play design. Eli Drinkwitz was getting guys wide open consistently. He totally outcoached Bo Pelini in that game. Nice. And now what will you think overall, what would you say is success for Coach Drink in the Tigers this season being his first you know, that's a good question. And I think, I think next week Vanderbilt is the only must win on this schedule. I think you have to beat Vanderbilt at home during homecoming. And in, in fact, uh, that's the only game that Missouri absolutely has to win. In my mind, you lose that game. That's a pretty big failure. Mm -hmm. But other than that, I'm just going to, again, just look for just continued improvement. Hopefully the offense can whatever we just did yesterday seems sustainable to me. We've got a really good quarterback. And again, the ground game looked good too. Larry Roundtree ran for nearly 120 yards. So everything was clicking. And frankly, our offensive line deserves a lot of credit too, because they were really just thin to, to put it mildly coming into the season. I think our offensive line coach has just done a tremendous job. Listen, I love a good offensive line. I think they are the unsung heroes of a lot of teams, but I'm happy that you, the Tigers are doing the job for you. Now, where can folks find you and follow more of your work? Well, you can subscribe to Locked on Mizzou on Apple Podcasts, follow it on Spotify, or obviously anywhere else you get your podcasts and follow me on social media everywhere at Locked on Mizzou. Thank you so much, John, for your time. And I, you know, I might bring you back here if Mizzou tries to have some more upsets as the season progresses now. Well, that would be a lot of fun. Thank <laughs> you so much for having me on. And hopefully there will be some more upsets. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'd be happy to come on anytime, Candace. It was my pleasure. It's Monday, college football fans. So I'm going to need you to start your week off right. Add Built Bar to your grocery list for the week. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. With 18 amazing flavors that are 100% covered in chocolate, Built Bar is even more delicious. If you're working on your fitness and are a health conscious person like me, you'll enjoy Built Bar because it's low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, and great for the keto diet. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get 20% off your next order. Now, today has an even more special meaning for Built Bar as they are releasing a limited time offer for strawberry flavored Built Bars for Breast Cancer Awareness Month. You can get 12% off these strawberry flavored Built Bars. That's good through today. Built Bar will be partnering with Barbells for Boobs, Breast Cancer Angels, Huntsman Cancer Institute, and Living Beyond Breast Cancer. Bill Bar will match your donation to the organization listed above up to $50 per order, plus 100% of the proceeds from the Built Breast Cancer Awareness Hoodie will go to these organizations to help support breast cancer patients and their families. So go to BuiltBar.com today for more information, and we really appreciate you, you know, helping to better our communities one donation at a time. Now we have Locked on Gators podcast host Zach Goodall to talk with me about the Florida Gators. More importantly, how he's coping with the loss from yesterday. Zach, how are you? I'm doing all right. I'll tell you what, I've been uh, I've been feeling a little under the weather since the game. Maybe I'm 
kind of sick from watching Florida's defense or maybe something worse. I don't know. I need to probably get checked out. <laughs> it was a tough loss yesterday for the Gators. Why do you think that the Aggies showed the Gators? So like, what was it about the Aggies that the Gators were like, I can't handle it? Well, the first thing that I thought about going into this game was just how big a game it was for Jimbo Fisher. I mean, yeah. third year at Texas A&M on a fully guaranteed contract if he got off to a one and two start, even considering how weird and unorthodox this season is, it wouldn't have spelled good things for Texas A&M during his regime, at least. And I think that was certainly a motivating factor. On top of that, you know, Florida came in, they did what we expected them of them offensively. They got one of the most dynamic offenses, especially in the passing game in the nation. It's going to be hard for anyone to stop what this offense can do. We saw it. Uh, Texas A&M did a pretty good job of stopping Kyle Pitts. And all of a sudden, Kyle Trash just looked to Kadarius Tony, who had a career day in receptions, yards, and receiving touchdowns. It was truly probably his best performance of his career as a receiver. And Trash can do that with just about any receiver in his receiving core. He's comfortable mm-hmm. spreading the ball around in the first game. I think he hit 11 different receivers. So it's never going to be the offense that's an issue with this particular team. It's the defense. Mm-hmm. They made Kellen Mond look like an all-SEC quarterback for the first time in his career. And they allowed 12 of 15 on uh, third down conversions a week after allowing five of six on fourth down against South Carolina. And Kellamond is definitely a lot better than Colin Hill. The Aggies certainly have a better offense in South Carolina. And no matter what Florida can't get off the field on crucial downs on defense, and it's wasting away at everything they do well offensively. Now, many have said that Kyle Pitts just needs to opt out for the rest of the season. He's done <laughs> enough. You know, he's shown us his NFL resume. Why is he still playing? What are your thoughts on that? I mean, from that perspective and from being a guy that covered the NFL beforehand and loves the NFL draft, I completely get that sentiment. I I, I think that it's a good idea. He's a surefire first round pick, probably a surefire top 15 pick, one of the best pure pass catchers coming out in this class at receiver or tight end in general. He's such a dynamic weapon that the NFL is looking for, mm-hmm. but he's the type of guy that I mean, he, he's bought into Dan Mullen's vision for the team. And that's that, you know, we saw it in the Orange Bowl this past year. They had several guys that could have opted out to prepare for the draft, not risk injury. And they only had one guy do it. It was the surefire top 10 pick in uh, CJ Henderson. That's just kind of been the mantra. It's what they like to do. They've bought into the whole team philosophy. It's not about the individual. It's about the team. And Kyle Pitts is one of those guys. He, he believes that and he's going to stick with it for the rest of the year unless things really start to go downhill and that at that point maybe he would opt out and I wouldn't blame him you know that's cute and all but we all know money cash <laughs> is king right and I feel like so many guys nowadays especially are very one-track minded so it does speak a lot to Kyle Pitts and the rest of those guys who buy in like a team atmosphere right yeah 100 percent. and you know what I I would be surprised and I certainly wouldn't want to buy into this if I was a member of the offense and seeing what the defense is doing but that's another example of it is yesterday, Kyle Trask said he wants the offense to score on every single drive they're out there. They scored on 75% of their drives and they still lost. Like that's, you won't find many teams doing that very often. So I admire Trask for having goals like that and to pivot blame away from the defense, put a little bit more on his plate as the leader of the team, but it's mm-hmm. just, it's unreasonable. It's unrealistic. And I certainly wouldn't want to have to fight every last offensive down to score because I know the defense is going to give up the points that I just put up. You listen, I'm right there with you. Now, do you think that the Florida Georgia game is going to be a decision maker uh, for the sec East this year? 
I thought it was last year, quite mm-hmm. honestly. And I mm-hmm. thought coming into this year, given the circumstances that this was the year Florida could beat Georgia, should take the crown in the SEC East and go play Alabama in the championship, probably contending for the playoffs. Just with how things were set up, they had the familiarity within the staff, a lot of veterans on offense, a lot of veterans on defense too. You'd figure that they would be doing a lot better than they would. And then you look at Georgia, they had a ton of quarterback controversy, a lot of staff changes, a lot of changes to their offensive philosophy. They had the best returning defense, but we see what Florida's offense is doing. We didn't expect it to be this great, but we expected it to be good enough to contend with Georgia. So I truly coming into the year, I was predicting Florida would beat Georgia. Now I'm not that confident in it. And if, if things come out the way I'm predicting it right now, I do think Georgia will end up taking the SEC East. Now, speaking of predictions, Florida went from 14% to 4% chance of making the college football playoffs. Do you think that that chance will increase as the season progresses or is it pretty much downhill from here? I think it really does depend with the Georgia game. I mean, from here until then, Mm -hmm. if Florida loses to LSU this week, it it should be over at that point. But they should be able to win out until they play Georgia. They've got, I think, two more games in between now and then. Uh, the chances should increase there if they beat Georgia or if they hold Georgia to the very last second and look like a team that could potentially still contend in what's been such a weird year, then maybe it'll keep going up after the Georgia game. But it's all it really is all going to come down to that. How can Flor- the Florida Gators get out of their own way, especially on defense and compete for that top spot in SEC, more importantly, in the nation? Well, with their defense, they just it's been such a wide array of issues. They're missing guys, which has really hurt their depth. It's caused them to call different defensive formations that really just don't fit how you should play within the sec whatsoever. I mean, having a lack of down defensive linemen to beef it up against the run game and in return, their edges get gashed when they finally do put those guys in a true three, four look, they start to do better, but at that point, they just are already wiped out from getting gashed, whether it's against the run or from their lack of pass rush, but they're certainly putting in the effort to do it, and they get tired from it. The secondary is getting gashed as well. I mean, it's it's from head to toe. It goes, it extends into coaching. We've had a lot of questionable things. You wonder why some guys are still being left on the field after what we've seen of them, not just this year, but throughout their careers. It just seems like they're being stubborn. They think that they can just naturally fix these issues as they go on. And that's not the way to approach things. Absolutely. Now, do you think sometimes coach Mullen and guys would rather be right in their way of thinking and, you know, stick to that pride, be all pride, be damned versus trying to adjust to the sec and kind of how it's flowing, ebbing and flowing. Well, I, I don't want to drag them too much for being stubborn coaches. Cause I do yeah. think that that's the norm. I think college or pro college coaches are always going to put pride first. Mm-hmm. Uh, they want their vision and the way they want to operate things. They want that to be the way things work. But we saw Dan Mullen yesterday making excuses after the game. He mm-hmm. played, he, you know, he finally did say they'd reevaluate the defense. You'd figure the excuses after the South Carolina last week where he deflected to offense. You'd have thought he'd have done it then, but maybe it's, it's about time to at least start reevaluating now, better late than never. And then pivoting to go, uh, blaming the crowd noise, saying that he hopes that 90,000 people show up in the swamp this week and that they're allowed to do it, pressuring the university association to do it, like publicly yeah. calling that out, like, that that's just, gonna be a difference maker <laughs> yeah like what i'm i'm shocked that he thought that that was okay to then also go yeah. and double down about and that's just a testament to exactly what you're saying it's a pride thing yeah 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 and so for you you know as 
working on talking with about the 40 Gators. What does success look like when it's all said and done at the end of this season? Well, I think there's three things. I think you've got to sustain the offensive success. You've got to redo the defense from head to toe, whether it's schematic, whether it's personnel, whether it's coaching, find a way to reshape things because you've got talent there. You've got to find a way to make it most effective. So sustaining the offense, fixing the defense and beating Georgia, you know, beating (laughs) Georgia means that you're probably nine and one. Okay. 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 I I like those odds. Listen, you're very confident (laughs) in those Gators and I appreciate that because I think Carolina's going undefeated. And you know, it's like, it's 2020. You might as well throw it, you know, whatever can stick on the wall, just throw it out there. You might, you might as well. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I also, I even want to clarify, I'm not even a fan of the team. I just, I do. Uh, I, I, I came from pro ball. I'm not even going to lie. Florida okay. fans might hate my guts for this, but I That's was okay. a UCF fan before oh. I started covering college football. It was, okay. I wasn't one of those national championship people. It's, okay. I was watching back in the Blake Bortles days. And even before then, uh, granted I'm a young guy. So like, I, I don't have ties to Florida here. It's just, I truly am impressed by what they've been able to do offensively. It is in my opinion, a playoff caliber offense, it's just it's being held back. Listen, we don't want to hold them back anymore. <laughs> so where can folks find you and follow more of your work as you cover these Gators? Or even if you want to talk UCF with some people, where can they find you? <laughs> Listen, I'll talk about UCF, but it's going to be in the DMs because Florida fans will, <laughs> they will come after me for hearing about that. But anyway, if you guys, if you guys want to find my work, uh, I write about the Gators on a daily basis for Sports Illustrated site, allgators.com. Uh, we do the Lockdown Gators podcast. I'm with Demetrius Harvey over there. You can find him at Demetrius82. He's also the co-host. Uh, he's the co-host of Lockdown Gators with me, and he does a lot of work with me at SI. Uh, and for myself, you can find me at Zach underscore Goodall. Nice. Well, Zach, I appreciate your time. And more importantly, I appreciate the conversation that we had today. I look forward to talking down the line, you know, should Florida get in those college football playoffs, I'll certainly be having you back to talk uh, championship week, but uh, good luck to you and good luck to that team of yours. (laughs) Sounds great. Thank you so much. So we'll end the day here with Locked On College Wolfpack host Kenton Gibbs next on Locked On College Football. Final interview of the day, we have Locked On Wolfpack host Kenton Gibbs here to talk to me about NC State and their big win so far this season. More importantly, how that'll shake for them in the ACC overall. Kenton, how are you? I'm great as always. How about yourself? Pretty good, pretty good. Now, NC State picked up its third win of the season. How surprising or not surprising has it been for you and Pack fans? I mean, it's been extremely surprising simply because of the games that they've played already, uh, how they looked against Virginia Tech. And, you know, the injury bug from last season seems to have stuck around. I don't know if they left the food out again or something, but the injury bugs ain't left. They still right in the middle. Now, we love a big man touchdown, and we saw a couple, we saw one of those yesterday. How impressed were you by Pac's offense overall at yesterday's game against Virginia? I mean, you know, we did, as a former defensive tackle myself, it's a dream. It's a dream to get in the end zone. Uh, but more importantly, how impressed am I with the Pac's offense? I Devin Leary is the quarterback of the future. He's their guy. He's QB one. He showed us why he was named the starter uh, way back in March before COVID and everything hit. He showed us why he's been showing us why really since he took over uh, at the end of the fourth quarter in the Virginia tech game. Why was there such disconnect between picking a quarterback early on and sticking with a a quarterback decision as the season started? Well, I don't think that there was a disconnect as far as picking a quarterback. They knew who their guy was, but the situation with COVID and contact tracing had them missing 
uh, 20 days of camp or something like that, or 20 some odd practices. And, you know, if you know anything about uh, camp football and, and how many practices you get, I mean, 20, you basically were there for maybe four or five, if that. So, you know, it's uh, it, it was a situation of he was out a bunch of the time. Bailey Hockman was literally just there. He was a body. He was in the building. He was present doing all the things that uh, needed to be done. And at that point, it was a matter of, like, he couldn't lose the job, really, um, as far as the first week of the season went. And the second week, I mean, we saw it, it got bad early, but they stuck with him. They gave Hockman every opportunity to right the ship. It was clear he wasn't going to do it. They put uh, Devin Leary in, and Devin Leary, he's, he's been balling. He's been balling ever since. So many people were calling for Coach Doran's number and his job after the big loss to Virginia Tech. How has he and the Wolfpack been able to turn things around so quickly? I mean, number one, that Virginia Tech team is a lot better than anybody had given them credit for. Even missing all those 20-some-odd players, including their starting quarterback and probably the third or fourth best quarterback in the ACC in Hinton Hooker, um, they that team has still played well all season. The loss against UNC showed that. They played against a top-10 team, and they were able to compete with walk-ons starting on defense. So, you know, and there's not a walk-on starting on defense like a feel-good story. There's a walk-on starting on defense because of COVID type situation. So uh, there's that. And going going forward, you never want to fire a coach after a week two conference loss, especially if you're NC State, because this isn't the situation where historically you're like a, a Florida State or like a, um, you know, if you were talking about Miami when they were back in the Big East, where it's like, okay, you don't need, you shouldn't be losing ever. We have a powerhouse rolling. That's not what state is. And state fans need to realize that. And then realizing that this year will be a delight for them. What do, what do the Wolfpack still need to do in order to make its case for a top spot in the Atlantic division of the ACC? I mean, here's the thing. NC State will never be a team with great name recognition. And that's, the, well, let me not say never. As of now, they're not a team with great brand and name recognition. And we all know that, like, they do top 25 rankings at the beginning of the season every year. And at the end of the year, they never look anything similar. LSU was a top five team this year. They've already lost twice this year. So as far as what do they need to do to get um, to become a top team in their side of the ACC, just keep winning. Just keep winning. Keep showing up. Keep playing the style of football that they're playing. Because they, right now, against Virginia, that was the most complete win they've had all season. Of all three wins they've had, that was the most complete. Their first win against uh, Wake Forest, the defense was atrocious. And the passing game was blase, blase. It wasn't anything special. Their second win against Pitt, um, the defense was abysmal, but they made some big plays down the stretch. And the running game was not there at all. Devin Leary put the team on his back and said, Let's get this thing going. And Pitt helped him out with over 100 yards of penalties. Uh, this game, they they did it all. They hurt Virginia's starting quarterback. They turned over him as well as the backup. And offensively, they ran the ball. They passed the ball. Whatever they wanted to do, they did it. So just keep getting better. Keep winning. Keep doing what they're doing now. What matchups are you looking forward to most for the rest of the season for the Wolfpack? So, I mean, I, I really hope that NC State doesn't look ahead to UNC and just completely sleeps on Duke because Cutcliffe is good for an upset. Um, but 
you know, obviously the, the UNC game is going to be a huge game uh, this year. It's going to be another one of those, you know, uh, barometer litmus test games where you see how good you are in comparison uh, to the conference's best. Because right now, because Miami was taken to the woodshed by Clemson, uh, everybody's going to act like UNC is now the, the class of the conference with Clemson when it's really Clemson and everybody else. So I'm excited to see how, how um, NC State plays against not just UNC next week and Miami the week after that, but going forward in the season when they're probably going to be seven and four or eight and three, how are they going to react uh, for the, the later games of the season where, you know, everybody's saying the hay is in the barn. Y'all are a great team. They're a bad team. And, you know, like games like Florida State at the end of the season, uh, well, that, that'll mean something. That'll mean a lot to me, even though the next couple of weeks is going to mean a lot to the national voters. Now, you'd say that the gap hasn't closed a little bit on Clemson, but are they still the top dogs and nobody has a chance of beating them? Um, the ACC is Clemson everybody else. <laughs> that, that is just, I, parity is great. Parity is cool. Parity is good. In spots two through 14 in the conference, there's a lot of parity because, you know, who who could have guessed that some of the teams that, that are good this year would be and who could have guessed that some of the teams that are bad this year? Well, for the most part, the teams that are bad, everybody saw coming. But still, um, the fact of the matter is there is there's a lot of parity in the conference as far as every other spot. But that number one spot is it is what it is like. There's there's a tremendous gap. And that showed in the Miami Clemson game that, you know, they've got the number one quarterback. I'm sorry, not the number one quarterback, the number one draft pick and Trevor Lawrence. They got the number one running back in the nation and Travis Etienne. He's probably going to be the first one, off, first running back off the board, probably middle, early first round. They've got, you know, uh, Booth at corner who he's he's he just looks better and better every week. Um, and you know, Miami was the team that looked like they were the closest. And Clemson said, "Yeah, watch this," and showed us there's there's not really anybody in the conference who can compete. We will surely keep our eyes peeled for that. Can you remind folks of where they can follow you and follow more of the Wolf Pack for the rest of this season? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I am a deputy editor for Sports Illustrated, all Wolf Pack. So you can find me and my partner, Brett Freelander, there. You can hear me on Locked On Wolf Pack Monday through Friday. Uh, at And uh, you can uh, find me on Twitter at LO underscore Wolf Pack. And TGIF Ken is my personal page. So. You know, don't expect all Wolfpack things on there. But, yeah, that's where you can find <laughs> No doubt. Well, Ken, I appreciate your time and look forward to talking to you down the line. It's clear that Clemson is the top dog as the AP Top 25 released their rankings. And I'm going to give you the top 10 so far. Clemson sits at number one, then Alabama, Georgia, Notre Dame, North Carolina, Ohio State, Oklahoma State, Cincinnati, Penn State, and Florida to round out the top 10. It is clear and apparent that it's Clemson and everybody else, and they're on a roll, but so is Georgia. So is Alabama and Notre Dame. As soon as they get their cases under control, they'll be on a roll, I guess, too. But we all have to just keep our eyes out on that Big Ten, and what will they do when they enter the conversation? How has their training gone and their preparation? Has getting more time been beneficial for the Pac-12? in Big Ten or will it matter? Will guys already have enough game energy and momentum to you know make the case for why they're still in the top conversation and having shorter seasons? Will that be more beneficial? 
will it be something that people look into, you know, as the future progresses and we see how 2020 is like nice, short and sweet, just trying to get through game by game and conference, how beneficial will that be in the long run for these programs? So something that we should all monitor, certainly. Now, make sure you download and subscribe if you miss any of these, miss any of today's show, get notifications, Locked on College Football podcast. You can listen from anywhere, download from anywhere, you know, keep the conversation going. Look up all of our hosts of today's show. John Miller from Locked On Missouri, Zach Goodall from Locked On Gators, and finally Kenton Gibbs from Locked On Wolfpack. Make sure you are following Locked On Pods where you can look up all of your favorite team sports. You can talk and keep that conversation going every single day as these daily podcasts give you the greatest content. Make sure, again, you guys are having a great week. I look forward to talking to you next Monday. You are Locked On College Football, your daily podcast on all things college football, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.